Welcome back to another episode of the Fight Talk Podcast. I say welcome back because I know you've been hanging out with us the last few weeks. It's John Mosley. It's Steven Jensen. We always talking about the UFC, a little bit of Bellator, a little bit of a little bit of that. Hey, boxing here lately, so we're covering all your fight needs. Uh, uh, before we we dive in, uh, another we may go a little bit today. Uh, a lot to talk about, but um, how was the weekend, man? Uh, not not a ton of wrestling. Obviously, our fights uh, turned out pretty pretty damn well. But uh, how did everything go? Yeah, it was a good weekend, man. A lot of good wrestling, a lot of good fighting. Uh, we talked a little bit before we got started. You know, shout out to Game Changer Wrestling. If you're a pro wrestling fan, I highly recommend, you know, for free on YouTube, 100% free. Yep. They put on GCW Slime Season this uh, this past weekend. I thought that was really good. So I recommend checking that out. There was obviously the UFC. Um, there was also Errol Spence Jr. versus Danny Garcia. Big boxing match over the weekend. Uh, shout out to Errol Spence Jr. for getting that win. Uh, people want to see him fight uh, Terrence Crawford next, I think, is like, so see where that all goes. Uh, but yeah, uh, pretty good. The Vikings got a win yesterday in overtime. So um, Dan Bailey, our kicker, it's been this weird season of like the last two weeks have been redemption stories where two weeks ago, Chad Beebe muffed a punt return that almost lost us the game. And then he right. wound up catching the game winning touchdown. So <laughs> went from crying on the bench to catching the game winning touchdown. And then this week, Dan Bailey, our kicker, misses two extra points and a field goal and then kicks the game-winning field goal in overtime for us to win. So all is right with the world. The Minnesota Vikings, and if the season were to end right now because of the extended playoff um, roster that they're doing now, like the more the seven teams now instead of six, I think, is, is what they're doing. Um, the Vikings right now, if the season ended, would actually make the playoffs because uh, Arizona lost yesterday. So this season is totally turning around from from one and five to now six and six, I believe. So, hey, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm 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 happy about that. I'm very happy. Good to see. school Vikings. Uh, good weekend. How about you, Mose? I say you should be, man. That that start to where we are. That's pretty nuts. Um, a lot of close losses there. It was good, man. It was good. Titans got that ass kicked for the most part. That wasn't exciting. But uh, Saturday, we had a good taping for New South down in Alabama, which was a lot of fun. Um, catch that on IWTV in the next couple weeks. Um, just, yeah, man, a kind of a light week. The, the year is, uh, is getting close to ending. So this last little bit of December um, kind of slows down for me. I only got, I think I've got three or four bookings total the rest of the year, man. Um, so the, the, the good part of that is I'll be able to watch these fights live instead of trying to stay off Twitter and then watching them like at four in the morning when I get <laughs> home or on Sunday. Um, but, uh, but man, yeah, it, it was good. Good fights. Before we get into all that, we've got a couple of notes uh, to get into before again, we, we cover the UFC on ESPN Hermanson versus Vittori, which is fire. Uh, boxing news out of the gate. It appears, Stephen Jensen, that, well, I don't even know how to lead into this. Uh, Floyd Mayweather is going to be fighting in at least an exhibition, as I you know, put air quotes, an exhibition fight with Logan fucking Paul appears. this. I, I saw the graphic and I thought it was maybe a little bit of a, of a rib, um, but this appears to be to be true for February 2021. 
where uh, where do you hit on this? Uh, you know, now the uh, day or so to really kind of think about it, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's. I was very surprised that they're actually going to do this. Um, I I'm surprised from like the perspective of like obviously it's Floyd Mayweather, arguably the best boxer of all time. Um, I think unquestionably the best boxer of my lifetime. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I mean, people can say what they want about Floyd, you know, as a person and all, but to be 50 and O and and the stuff that he's done. And, and I mean, even with like the, the McGregor fight was obviously completely one-sided and, but I mean, I think everyone has to give credit, you know, Connor a ton of credit for having the balls to even do that to begin with. Obviously, they both made a ton of money, and it was totally worth it for everybody involved. Um, and I loved it as a fan. Like I was marking out like crazy just because it was it was such an event for my lifetime. Uh, you never see this kind of stuff where you know the the top star in one combat sport fights the top star in another combat sport. Like it was it was so cool. But all that being said, like this is a lot different because Conor McGregor, like I just said, was the top star in the UFC when, when this fight happened, uh, he might not have been the best fighter in the world, like depending on who you ask. And obviously we'd seen him, you know, later we'd seen him lose to Habib and stuff, but like, as far as, you know, two division champion, knocked out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds, uh, you know, knocked out Dustin Poirier, beat Max Holloway. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's just all this stuff he had done even up until that point, knocked out Eddie Alvarez. Yep. Like you're, it, it, but Jake Paul hasn't done any of these things. Jake Paul, or sorry, Logan Paul, Logan Paul. Um, Logan Paul hasn't done any, any of these things. He He's fought KSI two times. Uh, now, granted, I think that he, at the very least, should have, I think it should have been a draw between Logan and KSI in their most recent fight. Uh, the, their first fight was scored a draw. Their second fight, I really thought Logan looked better personally um, KSI throws with, mo- with more power, but Logan looks like a way better technical boxer to me. And I, th- I think he, he, I think he was unjustly uh, deducted too many points for uh, for a penalty uh, during the fight. But anyways, that all being said, this is Logan Paul fighting another YouTuber. Th- I mean, this just, I, and I mean. I have so many mixed feelings on this because I totally understand why they do this because it's a complete cash grab. Like everyone's going to make a lot of money and a lot of people are going to watch it and myself included. But if Floyd has to go in there and just starch him, like it can't even be like Floyd can't Floyd's done some stuff. Like I can't remember the guy's name, but he went to Japan uh, a few years back and he did, he did this like, boxing exhibition with this this like up-and-coming kickboxer that was like killing everybody and they basically went out there and didn't do anything like they you know it was like that was what the exhibition was it was them basically kind of sparring around um i can't remember what the result even was if floyd i i have to i can't even remember at this point um mayweather i'm gonna see if i can find it real quick oh yeah he destroyed this guy Tension. That's right. He went in and destroyed him. First um, round knockout, right? Y- yep. Yep. I forgot what the result of the fight even was. So, okay, I take that back about them going <laughs> and they're not doing anything. Um, 
if Floyd Mayweather goes in there and just does this, yeah, I totally forgot that he did that. That was so fast. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I mean, I Floyd just needs to do that same thing. To I mean, it just should be even quicker. To be honest, if it's Jake Paul, sorry, I keep getting the two confused. Logan Paul. Logan Paul. Yeah. Well, you're we we you go listen to last week's episode if you have it. Uh, Stephen Jensen pretty high on Jake Paul, so don't be surprised he keeps getting them mixed up at least in the fighting realm. Um, that was the biggest question I kept seeing. It's kind of what you're saying, bro. What happened is. Does Floyd make quick work of this kid or does he kind of let him hang around a little bit? Like that's what everyone's, you know, it's asking. We know, we know what's going to happen. Floyd Mayweather, whether it's an exhibition, whether it's MMA real, whatever, you know, whatever world he wants to go in, he's going to be a favorite, let alone against Logan Paul, who, as you keep pointing out, not, uh, not very adept, at least on record wise, at least in, in boxing world wise um, at this. So this Floyd, but that seems to be the question. Does he go out there and make this kid look foolish or does he maybe stretch it out a little bit? I think he needs to just go in there and end it as fast as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, Because his reputation is on the line here too. Like I don't, I mean, Logan is not going to be Floyd. Everyone knows that going into it, but Floyd also is going to be judged, I think, based on how long this lasts. Like, because if Logan is in there for, if he makes it even like one full round, it's like people can say that. You know, they can be like, hey, well, Logan Paul went a whole round with Floyd Mayweather. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's like, oh, yeah. No, you got to just nip that in the bud. Like, no, he just needs to go out there and just destroy him. It's what happened with Connor, right? I mean, you know, half the half the audience that watched that is probably going to say Floyd could have done this or that more. Floyd let Connor tire himself out throwing those heavy hands. Floyd, blah blah blah. But, and then the other half is going to say, "Well, well, hell, man, you know, Connor lasted how many rounds? I forget. Was it not the ninth or tenth round? I can't remember. Um, how many of a rounds though? That's always going to be an argument, and it's different when it's Connor McGregor who will go down as one of the most popular. MMA fighters, nay, probably fighters ever because of uh, what he's done these last few years with the casual fans. I mean, that's um, different when it's when it's Connor and it's Logan, Logan Paul, no offense. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And then also kind of to piggyback on, you mentioned that I was really high on Jake Paul last time right. we talked about this. He, I mean, that would be, I, once again, Floyd Mayweather would completely destroy Jake Paul too. It it looked pretty much identical. I think no matter who he fought between the two brothers, because I think it it'll be so fast either way. Um, but oh, you, you know what? Oh well. Anyway, I was I was gonna say something. I'm, I'm gonna not say that. Um, <laughs> uh, but but I will. I'll say this: Jake Paul. I think Jake Paul clearly has more knockout power than Logan does. And oh, okay, I see what you're saying. And like, the, I, like, there's no way that he would actually catch Floyd or beat Floyd. Of the two, he would have a better chance if that, you know, if that makes sense. Like, you know, it would be more interesting to see Jake Paul because you, at the very least, have seen him put Nate Robinson face down in the mat, whereas Logan, we're just we've seen lose, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that was going to be my, my kind of last question I had on this, um, and it's it's one that I know a lot of people may think is stupid, but 
Does this do anything to Floyd's legacy for fight fans now that he's he is fifty and zero? I mean, I'm not saying this is my opinion. I'm just asking a question here. But mm-hmm. to fight Connor, who is never you know zero and zero, and then now fighting Logan Paul, who is zero and one, does that do anything to to Floyd's legacy for you? No, uh, okay. it doesn't. Especially because you know what I was kind of going to kind of going to talk about a second ago is I think I confuse a little bit of, like, that tension and um, Floyd fight kind of with the recent uh, Roy Jones Jr. and Tyson fight, where, like, it was fun to watch, but, like, it, that felt like we were watching, like, a like a sparring session. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't think Tyson was in there looking to, like, rip his head off, you know? Um, and that's kind of where I get, like, when I like, when you see stuff like that, you could also kind of lean towards thinking like, hey, well, I mean, Floyd could really go and do the same thing with with Logan, right? Like, I mean, the two of them could basically agree ahead of time. Hey, we don't want to mess our faces up. No, no cuts to the face. Maybe they're not like publicly in the rules, but, you know, they can they can, you know, they can make this happen. They can easily say, hey, Floyd can be like, yo, I'm not going to punch you in the face a whole bunch of times. Like, just kind of be, be protecting your body, you know? Right, um, right. And... You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, and this isn't them fixing a fight either. It's an exhibition. It doesn't matter either way, like, at the end of the day. But because of that, too, because it is an exhibition, it also leads me to believe, like, you know, maybe they just won't, won't really, you know, do a ton. I don't know. But I, but I, I also have to imagine that Floyd's just going to go in there to try to starch him for his own, for his own re- re- reputation's sake. But, um, but uh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot what the original question was. Now, oh, it was just about you. I mean, you answered it. it was about because I'm with you. I don't think this does anything to Floyd's legacy. The fact that yes, he's he's fighting guys that have never no have have no wins. Or again, I bring it up because it is it's important to note that that was Conor McGregor's first boxing fight. You know, his first time in a boxing setting. So uh, I'm with you. I know there's going to be haters that say this or that, but uh, I mean, the guy's fifty and zero, and and you said it to to kick things off, man. Um. He's not my favorite boxer of all time, but for my lifetime, uh, he, he's the greatest for, for, for people our age that we've seen. You know, I, I can think of, I, can, I can think of countless Mayweather fights I've watched live in my life. And as much as he's annoyed me or done this or that, it's you, you find yourself in awe uh, just about every time he's in the he's in the ring. Yeah, well, and let's not forget he has that win over the big show at WrestleMania. Fact. Um, so, Fact. you know, there's always that. Um, and kind of speaking of that, to be honest, <coughs> and I doubt he'd ever want to take the fight, but they should really be working on like Jake Paul or, or one of these YouTubers versus CM Punk. They really should, because at least CM Punk has been in the octagon a couple times and is kind of sellable versus a guy like Nate Robinson, who's like, who's never fought, you know, like. Yeah. I feel I feel like they should really, if they haven't already, they should really be reaching out to CM Punk. And and but like I've said before, and there's a lot of people that will detest me saying this because this is, you know, this is an MMA show, but my podcast feed is very heavily pro wrestling as well. Either Paul brother, they finish CM Punk within a round. Like they're both so much better than him at, at striking. It's not even funny. Um, but I would be interested to see someone like CM Punk. Because he has, at the very least, he has an MMA record of some kind, you know? Right, right. 
I, I don't think that don't, I don't know if, if punk would be interested in that the, right. at the moment. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that's where I think he's at with it, but much like this fight in February, um, I think that would sell. And I know, you know, love or hate this exhibition we're getting. Um, we ought to agree on that one, that this, there are plenty of money to be made off, off this opportunity. And that's something we know both of these guys enjoy doing is making money. So, um, as surprised that I was to see it happen, it's also that, like, I get it. Like, I, I know why they're doing that. It's fine. I mean, what, uh, Floyd made, like, $300 million when he fought Connor or something <laughs> like that. Connor made, like, $100 million. So, yeah. money to be made, man. Um, I, 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 The closer we get to it, I really can't wait to see the uh, what, what the social medias have to say. That's the winner in all this, really, is is Twitter and the thoughts that are going to come from everybody on that one, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be... Uh, I mean, uh, to your point, like, Logan and Jake are saying, like, they're willing to fight each other because they know the money will be so big, you know? Like, they don't want to fight each other. They're brothers, you know? They love each other. They're, they don't want to fight, but it's like, hey, I mean, we'll fight each other if you, <laughs> we got enough money, you know? Red light on, baby. Red light on. Um, outside of that news, before we get into the uh, the cards, uh, of course, this past weekend, and then previewing um, UFC 256 this Saturday, um, we, we know the Yo Romero news. Before we get into that, I actually wanted to ask you real quick, and I didn't get to ask you this in the pre-show meeting, so I'm sorry to kind of to jump you with it, but what what did you think about Clarissa Shields' news, man, going to the uh, the PFL? Dude, I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah, I'm very excited. She looks really good. She's a great boxer. Everyone already knows that. But she's she looks like she's also going to be a great kickboxer, too, because she, she's throwing uh, really impressive-looking uh, body kicks and stuff that I've seen. I know she's been in the gym with John Jones. She's, uh, she's training with uh, Jackson Wink MMA, which is, like, one of the best camps that you could go to. So... I'm really excited, especially, you know, with her signing with PFL, the obvious matchup everyone's talking about now is her versus Kayla Harrison. And Kayla herself is talking about it a lot. She's been tweeting a whole bunch, not not in a disrespectful way at all, like actually being super respectful of Clarissa and, and basically just uh, parroting what the fans are saying of like, hey, like we have a chance here of doing, you know, two Olympic gold medal, you know, level uh, athletes here from different sports uh, in a sport that uh, is a combination of all of these things, which, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually really, really excited to see uh, what she does because with her and Kayla Harrison, regardless if they wind up fighting, I, I don't know how this is all going to work out because Kayla Harrison said she's going to be doing the next season of PFL. So that'll be a few fights and uh, Clarissa Shields might, I don't know how long she's trying to take before she actually takes her first PFL fight. Don't know if it'll be beginning of this year, end of this next year, um, you know, beginning of 2022. Like, I'm not sure exactly what her timeline is. Mm -hmm. So maybe it matches up where Harrison wins the next season. I think she's going to have one more fight outside of the PFL uh, in January or February. And then she's going to go back to the PFL, win that next season um, of, of the PFL tournament. And then maybe by that time, Clarissa Shields is ready to make her debut. And and honestly, I know that's like a humongous first fight. But, you know, even if she goes in there and loses Kayla Harrison, she's still Clarissa Shields. 
and she's still going to be marketable for her next fight, no matter who it's against. Maybe you put her against someone that's a little more reasonable if Kayla Harrison's too much. Or she goes in there and she just, I mean, Kayla Harrison's looked great, but we don't know what Shields' striking is going to look like in MMA. She might go in there and just be a, a total monster in there. So, like, I'm to answer your question, I'm really excited to, to see what happens with uh, Clarissa Shields and mixed martial arts. Uh, same. Got very excited. Uh, you mentioned it. Two-time gold medalist. 2012 in London. 2016 in Rio. 10-0. Um, her a professional boxing career. 10-0. Her most recent fight back in January of this year. Um, a, a unanimous decision win for, for Shields. I'm fired up, man. I'd love to see her get in there. Maybe get a fight or two before uh, the Kayla Harrison fight, but the, I mean, you, you said it all, like, when do we ever get gold medalists, uh, two different uh, athletes, two different sports, um, really squaring up, man. That feels like a, um, that feels like a pay-per-view fight, like straight up. Yeah, I think it'd be, it'd be great. And, you know, I guess kind of the reservations I'd have would be obviously like Randy Couture versus James Tony, something right. like that. Right. Where, Clearly, but but the difference being, I don't think James Tony was really training mixed, no. like fully as a mixed martial artist. You know, um, I, I think he, yeah, I he went in there not looking to be in the best shape. I think he was really heavily relying on trying to just hit Couture with an uppercut or something. I think he figured because the way that the fight played out. Couture took a shot from like so far outside, like it would have never taken down. And this is Randy Couture, one of the best wrestlers in MMA history. He he took a shot on James Tony that would not have taken down any other UFC fighter on the roster at any weight. I mean, he could have he could have taken that shot on on a lightweight, and they would have gotten out of the way. No, you know, it, it would have been no problem. But he was able to grab James Tony by the ankles and just take him right down like it was nothing. And I and I think a big reason that Couture took that shot the way that he did was because I, I'd imagine all James Tony trained was like sprawling and uppercutting. And you know, so Couture was really smart and he he was he just, you know, made really, really quick work of him. Really easy oh. night. Yeah, Randy knew from the jump that that was going to be a breeze when he saw like that. I remember the week leading up to that fight, I, me and my boys were just all like, Randy is just sitting there like, LOL, boys, LOL. Yeah, exactly. And, but like the difference with Shields is mm-hmm. going to be, you know, she's going to go in there prepared and with a full, you know, it's going to be interesting to see because a lot of this, I really think, depends on what her timeline is of when she wants to fight. Because I, so, I mean, all you see in Punk is another example of somebody who did athletic things in the WWE, but it took him like two years of training MMA before he fought Mickey Gall. And then, you know, we know what happened there. He just got completely destroyed. And then it was like another two years of training. So it was like four years of training total before he went in there and fought Mike Jackson and I mean, we've talked about that plenty on this show. I mean, Mike Jackson literally held down CM Punk and started tickling him on the ground. Like, that that's how one-sided that fight was. So, but that's four years of training for a guy who, like, you know, came from, you know, I you, you, can, you can consider pro wrestling to be a combat sport to an extent. Like, with the, the skill set and the athleticism and stuff that, that they have and the training a lot of them have, like, 
I consider it a combat sport to where I could say CM Punk came from a combat sport. It took him four years and he got nowhere with it. Clarissa Shields, I think, is going to be the total opposite. She'll come in. She'll start absorbing stuff like a sponge. She is a she's an incredibly high level, similar to Brock Lesnar. But but difference. So but that's why the timeline's so important is because Brock Lesnar <laughs> pretty much just like came in and was in really good shape already and was training and already had the wrestling base and but he never really like he could he could strike but he against the top level strikers he was it wasn't there like he couldn't hang with Overeem he couldn't hang with uh with Cain Velasquez if he would have fought Junior Dos Santos that would have been really one-sided I think like a lot of these you know and and then you have but but the point is he came in with like that wrestling base and that was enough uh, between that and learning submissions to, you know, win the title. And, and he knocked out Randy Couture, to be fair, too. Um, he knocked him out with the punch. Um, so there is that. But 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 I guess the point I'm trying to make is Clarissa Shields is coming in with this boxing base, which we know, similar to Brock, like her boxing is going to be world class. Um, Brock's wrestling was world class. Clarissa's boxing is world class. Um, now, if Clarissa Shields takes like a full year of nothing but MMA training. Her boxing base is not going to go anywhere. Right. And so, but like with Brock, you know, he kind of jumped right in there. He did that fight in Japan. Then he was like signed to the UFC, like right away. And he, I don't think he ever took like that full, like year, year and a half, two years of just training MMA and like really getting it all together. Um, If Clarissa does that, She's going to be real dangerous. Like if she can wrestle, that's going to be a huge problem for everybody. Um, if, if she is good off of her back, I have no idea what her, her jujitsu looks like. She might, it might be non-existent right now, but if she takes the next year and really focuses on jujitsu, she's not going to ever be the level of like a Damian Maya or a Jacare or anything like that ever in her life over, you know, one year of training or even two years, or even a lifetime of training at this point. No, nothing like that. But if she's competent on the ground, and she's good enough to where she can she can move positions, maybe she can learn how to do some good elbows off of her back. Maybe she's got like a good armbar or triangle. I don't know what her hips look like on the ground. That's super important. Like her hip movement, she might. And for all I know, she she might have all of this already. Like you know, and if she does, with like a year or so of training. I guess, you know, because I, what I don't want to see is her going in there with just the boxing base, go in there and get in over her head, lose a fight, and then it all just kind of gets derailed. Like, I want to see her go in there fully prepared. I want to see her going in there knowing that if someone takes a shot on her, she knows how to sprawl. If she has to go to the ground, she has a chance of taking someone down. Uh, if she's on her back, she has a chance of, of working a submission. Um if she goes in with those like bases, if she goes in with her already incredible boxing base and then puts all these other pieces around her and really works on it before she really gets into this, like that's she, this is like the best ball of clay you could possibly have to mold into like the perfect MMA fighter. You know, the only, the only better way that you could, you could have this is if you had like a, five-year-old kid right now who didn't know any mixed martial arts and you started teaching them every aspect of MMA right now. That's really the only way I think of getting like the quote-unquote kind of perfect MMA fighter in the future. They're practicing everything from a super young age. But if you're taking someone who's already world-class somewhere else, 
that's the best base you could really have outside of what I just mentioned. You know what I mean? No, yeah, you, you it's it's with so confident on the feet, uh, it, it won't take a whole lot, like you're saying, a, a slick little submission here or there, or maybe she does take to it like water being an athlete like that. There's plenty of questions that um, that we have that, you know, it's, we're, it's not going to take long. That's the beauty of this sport, too, is that we're going to know right away the first time she's in that cage, the, the bell rings um, where we're at and at least something uh something to base it off of but i'm fucking i'm fired up for it man i know that's one of the the kind of news bits that maybe slid under the the rug this weekend with all the news coming out about yo romero which uh i know we were surprised by of course if you haven't heard somehow yo romero released by the ufc um dana watts came out and said that really this is just the first of a lot of, of a lot of names that we're gonna see cut over the next couple of months by the end of the year. Um, I'm going to quote him. um, I had a quote pulled up. He said, uh, we're, we're starting to go through the list. He's 44. He's lost four of his last five. And these are the tough decisions you have to make uh, is what Dana White had to say along with some other, other things, basically just telling us that, you know, a lot of fighters that we're going to be maybe confused by, um, are, are going to be cut, man, um, with, a, with a big roster like this and with a weird year like they've had. This isn't a big surprise. So uh, what did you think when you, when you saw the news that Yoel was uh, released? And, um, and what do you think about, uh, the, again, quote, serious cuts on the way to this roster? Yeah, when I initially saw that, I was surprised uh, when I saw that, that he had been cut by the company or they had mutually parted ways, however they want to put it. Um, I first saw it because Malky Kawa's manager had tweeted about it. And I was like, well, if Malky's saying this, this is, this has got to be what's happening. There's something to it. Yeah. Um, but then when I heard Dana White talking about it and the quote that you just read, I mean, it makes sense. Like he is in his forties. He has lost four of his last five. Now, granted they've been to like the tippy top, level people it's not like he's in there losing to jabronis he's in there losing title fights and number one contender fights and and title bouts i mean i already just mentioned that but but the point is he's been fighting the like the best available competition but the other side of it too is he costs a lot of money in comparison to you know they have all these things now like the contender series they they don't have to pay those guys hardly i mean i want to say hardly anything but uh, for them, it's life-changing money, but um, in the grand scheme of things, they're paid very little in comparison to someone like Yoel Romero. You could probably sign 10, 10 people from the Contender Series for what Yoel gets paid kind of thing, you know? Um, and then those people kind of have the... Sh- Here's the thing with Yoel. He's still good enough to probably be a world champion. Like, depending on the right night and the right opponent, I mean, he, he can still pretty much beat anybody, but but... You know, right now with where his record's at and who's ahead of him and who and who he's lost to and stuff, I just don't see him being the the champion. I just don't see it happening. And I think the I think the way Dana White's looking at it is like, you know, if he's not going to ever be a world champion and he is the age he is and he does cost what he costs, like why don't we try to get more people in here that could potentially be world champions one day that don't cost nearly as much right now and kind of invest in our future. And I think that, uh, like from that, from those perspectives, I, I understand it. So, you know, with this being the first of many cuts, 
I, I'm not really surprised by that either, uh, considering what this year has been. They haven't been, they haven't had fans. Uh, there's a lot of missed revenue right now that the company would normally have that they don't. And I think they have more people on their roster than like the NFL does. Like they, there's a, yeah. they have, you know, they have hundreds of hundreds of people. I mean, I, I don't want to see people losing their jobs. Obviously we've talked about that plenty of times on this show. Like that's never what we're advocating for at all, but but from a business perspective, I, I do understand like if the company if the company's kind of hurting for money in comparison to what they what it would normally look like and and they have an inflated roster already and they're already having a hard time getting people that they have contracted fights, you know, like I get that. And then, you know, you look back years ago and it's similar to the situations with like John Fitch and uh, you know, some of these people have have been cut and some of them have, you know, tested free agency like Roy McDonald, for instance. He didn't get cut by the company. He he fought out his contract and then wound up opting for Bellator and now with PFL. But, um, you know, he's another example like the UFC. I don't think made I don't think the UFC made like, a huge play to keep Roy McDonald for the same kind of reasons. Um, Roy I, at the time still, I think, was one of the best fighters at welterweight in the world, probably top three or top five in the entire world when he left the UFC, but he had lost multiple title fight or he had lost the title fight to Robbie Lawler, but he lost multiple, you know, like high level number one contender fights lost to wonder boy in a, in a number one contender fight. Like he, it was it, it, same kind of thing with John fish. He had fought for the title, but he was kind of in no man's land and he was beating off, beating off he was beating he was beating he was beating the other people that were like coming up in the rankings so like they'd get to the point of like almost having a title shot and then like Fitch would beat them and then it would be like they're back down the ladder but Fitch still wasn't going to get another shot at the title and it was so I I kind of if that all makes sense like I I, I, I Yoel's in kind of the same spot as, as those kind of guys were years ago and then you also have guys like Matt Wyman, who we're going to talk about on this show. Like he's for sure going to get cut after after this weekend. I, I, I guys like Luke Sanders, like we've talked about, um, who I'm a huge fan of, and I know you are too. Never want to see anything bad happen to that guy. But with his record and, and recent performance, I even though it's exciting to watch, like there there are in in those. I mean, I think there's going to be people like. Um, I, don't, I can't really speculate, but I, I think that there's going to be more people that you would consider to be pretty big stars in the company that are going to be in this same kind of boat, and that and that costs the UFC a lot of money. And I think the UFC is going to, you know, kind of look towards the contender series, and they're also reviving the Ultimate Fighter. Um, so like they're looking for new talent right now. Clearly, no, there. I mean, yeah, it's it's a loaded, you know, loaded roster, a lot going on for the UFC, and. <clears throat> I had forgotten this. I'm just going back and looking at Yoel's kind of record. Uh, you know, since that since that knockout over Weidman, uh, UFC 205. I'm sure we all remember the uh, the flying knee back in November 2016. So I'm just gonna rattle them off. He lost to Robert Whitaker. Um, that was the interim UFC middleweight title fight of the night. Uh, comes back, beats Rockhold, knocks out Luke Rockhold, but you, Romero missed weight that fight and was ineligible for, again, the interim UFC middleweight title. Yeah. Uh, that was February 2018, 2018. Comes back, fights Whitaker again, misses weight again, loses a split decision to Whitaker, and since then, uh, 2019 and 2020, lost to Paulo, 
lost to Izzy back in March of this year. So not only is he losing, bro, but he's losing. He's missing weight. Uh, it's just I, – I, I don't know, man. I know I'm a little biased to y'all because I still remember – I, it's stupid, but I'm still I'm still upset about that Tim Kennedy fight back in 2014. Yes, um, I was I was I, one of the few times I was like yelling at my television, like "What are you fucking doing?" kind of thing. So Stoolgate, uh, bro, I still you still you hear that? You hear it in my voice. The second you say <laughs> that, I go back to that place and be like, "Ah, oh, I was so angry that night." Uh, um, but it makes sense, right? Again, the age, and then he's missing weight. He's losing fights. You know, I get it. I totally get it. Yeah, I mean, he's he's his own reason why he isn't a former champion. Boom. Like, if he would have made weight against Luke Rockhold, he would be the he would have been the champion. If now the Whitaker, the second Whitaker fight, I think you all probably should have won. Um, but in the first one, arguably also, like they were both really close. Super fights. close. Yeah, for real. Um, but I, well, I remember watching the second Whitaker fight live and thinking Yoel had done enough. Yeah, I did too. I went, went to the judges. I'm a big, I, I'm a big Robert Whitaker fan, but it went to the judges. I looked at my wife and was just like, I think Yoel Romero is about to win this bitch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I and yeah, I just, uh. It's it's one of those tough ones too because even if he would have won, he missed mm-hmm. weight, so like he wouldn't have been the champion, and that would have actually messed things up even worse for the division. So, I mean, yeah, it's just it's just a tough one. I don't know why. I know he had talked about it plenty, and I don't know why he never did it. But I, I, I mean, I don't know how to else to say this. Shame on you, El Romero, for for not just fighting a light heavyweight like yeah. the guy was the guy was huge like he could have easily been a contender at 205 and not had to deal with weight, weight uh cutting weight and not have to be in these situations like he probably at 205 especially during that time where john jones was fighting guys like anthony smith and and dominic reyes and and Chago Santos and, and like kind of that kind of run there. Yoel Romero had a bigger name than all those guys that when they fought Jones, like he probably could have, they were talking about Chris Weidman fighting John Jones. If Chris Weidman would have beaten Dominic Reyes, like Yoel Romero would have probably just gotten a title shot or been like one fight away. Cause he had flying need uh, Chris Weidman, like you talked about. So like Yoel could have probably been like, the number one contender or just gotten a title shot at 205 and not had to deal with any of these issues. I don't know why he never did that. No. And that's the, that was the, the I think the first message I got uh, from a buddy was when the Yule news came out was uh, he said, so how quick until he's a three weight champion at Bellator, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially, you know what he should do is sign with one FC or one championship. I should say that's where he should go. Cause they're not going to test him. He should just go over there and just, I don't know if he's on anything. I mean, he looks like he is, but he's also, I mean, he's also, I mean, and people who know his life story, this guy's literally been wrestling from birth. I mean, it's basically like the, the Habib story, you know, like they, yeah. they just, just, and Yoel grew up in the kind of conditions where, the better wrestlers got to eat dinner and like the shitty wrestlers who lost didn't get to eat, you know, like that's what this guy grew up in. So 
for him to look the way he does, like I could see him. He's one of the few outliers where I'm like, maybe he hasn't used steroids. Cause like this guy's just been wrestling from birth. Um, but that being said, if he wants to, you know, take a little something, something and, you know, get on, get on that, get on that Vitor train. Cause yes, <laughs> cause that, that's where dude, have you seen Vitor Belfort lately? Picture I have. Dude, he is back on the TRT hard and looking and good and, looking for a fucking title run. Dude, I mean, why not? Like, I I get it. Like, I I'm I'm pro drug testing, but I'm also like I'm I'm very pro letting a lot of it slide because like everyone's on stuff, and so I kind of think there should kind of be a limit to to where levels are at with things, but I, I'm not like 100% for just like banning everything either. It, it'd take a really long time for me to kind of explain my thoughts on all that. But if there's a company in China, like one championship that doesn't want a drug test and all their athletes know that, and they're all agreeing to it. And they're literally basically telling each other like, yeah, I'm going to be on uh, this, this, and this. And the other guy's like, yeah, I'm going to be on that, that, and that. And they're like, Okay, cool. We we're all on the same page. We know what's going on here. We're all cool with it. I have no problem with that. Like you're all agreeing to it. You're all adults. Like if if you want to have a, some some company where I mean, and that and that's not to say everybody's doing that. Like Demetrius Johnson was was one of the best fighters in history before he ever went to one championship, and he's just doing more of the same over there. I don't think that has to do with steroids in any way, shape, or form. But someone like Vitor Belfort, it's like, why the hell wouldn't you do that? You know, yeah. like, yeah. So if you're Yoel Romero and like you want to kind of be about that life, like, because the other thing is, uh, and one well, a company that not enough people I think are giving credit because, like, for the, uh, you'll know what I mean. Bare Knuckle Championship or Bare Knuckle FC, whatever the fuck they're calling it, that Bare Knuckle company that has Paige Van Zant and mm-hmm. Artem Lobov and and Hick Diaz, uh, whatever his uh, Jason McDonald, Jason McDonald, yeah. <laughs> Um, and like all these, and they just got Frank Mir and they had Chris Lieb and I think Lieb and retired, but I mean, they, ha- they clearly have enough money to pay guys like Frank Mir and stuff. Like imagine Yoel Romero going in there bare knuckle. Like I'm, I'm here for it. Like, why the fuck not? Like I'm cool with the fighters going anywhere where they can make money and do what they want to do. Um, sometimes it seems confusing where people wind up, but I also don't know people's life situations and what, and what they want to be about. Like, I didn't expect Warren McDonald to sign with PFL, but it makes sense. He's like, Hey, I can fight less, lesser competition and win a million dollars at the end of this thing. Like, like, like who am I to be upset about that? Like, it's smart. You know what I mean? No, I do. And I think again, that's, um, that's um that's a different I know again I'm maybe it's just me wanting to see it and me just trying to to push it but that's a different avenue right for for y'all like you've done it kind of everywhere where else people like me may shit on this or that about the the missed weight but he like how many times did he fight for a title in the UFC like that's impressive so why not just fucking hit the gas a little baby have a little fun <laughs> yeah have a good time you well um <laughs> I mean. I want to see him and Paulo Costa rematch in one championship. <laughs> Price, dude. Oh my god, <laughs> that's what I want. With uh, with fucking Vitor as a triple threat, why not? Dude, well Vitor, I don't know if I can't remember who they are. I, I don't know if he has like a targeted opponent still because his his stuff kept getting pushed back because of COVID. But 
I mean, Anderson's available now. Like, I'd let both of them do whatever they want oh, and rematch. Shit. Run that back, man. Like, why not? Like, there's, there's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. So, I, so I guess kind of the, the silver lining here is we both feel like Yoel Romero's still got plenty to offer the world oh, of sure. MMA or or boxing or whatever he winds up doing. Uh, just no, kind of a matter of you know where he's where he's going to land, uh, wind up next. Yeah, where he's going to go is going to get paid. Um, no, man, definitely say what we will, but that's the UFC, man. He can go to these other places and fuck shit up. I'm all about it. I mean, uh, there's plenty of fun matchups there. Um, good stuff, man. Yeah, we're let's dive into this. Uh, you know, we're going to do a, not as deep dive as usual. We'll get into Hermanson Vittori because uh, there's a lot, a lot to talk about. Uh, UFC 256 this weekend. Um, let's start with that main event, man. Uh, we both thought Hermanson, uh, you know, probably was going to get it done. Um, Vittori, man, the Italian sensation, Italian stallion, got got a big win, uh, 49-46, uh, and two judges, 49-45 to the third. Unanimous decision win in the main event on very short notice, man, for Marvin Vittori. Yeah, really impressive win for Vittori. Um I was really, really surprised that before this fight, Vittori was actually the betting favorite. I couldn't believe that. He was ranked 14, I believe, going into the fight, either 12 or 14. And Hermanson was number four, I think. I think I think Vittori was 12 and Hermanson was four. So that alone was suspect. And then you look at like the records and who each has beaten and been in there against. And I think a lot of people are giving a lot of credit for Vittori uh, going the distance with Adesanya, I think that that I think that might have even been a split decision. I need to look that up real quick. Um, uh, yeah, split decision. Israel Adesanya. So, you know, and then you see what he's done lately. I mean, it's been really impressive. But Jack Hermanson was, in my opinion, he was the next. Like, if Hermanson would have won this, I thought he was going to get the next title shot. Um, after they figure things out between. Uh, Whitaker and Adesanya, if they're going to run that back or they got to figure some stuff out at middleweight right now with the title. But Vittori looked, uh, looked fucking great. Uh, I think that he, I mean, he clearly won the first round. That's where the 49, 45 judge comes in. Cause he gave that round a 10, eight, which I totally agree with. And I think it was Vittori round one and round two. I think Hermanson got the third, and then Vittori got the fourth and the fifth. What was interesting, too, is Vittori started kind of slowing down in the third. And that's where Hermanson really started picking up the pace more. And uh, But then, like, by the end of the fight, they were both slugging it out again. And Vittori kind of caught a second wind. And I think that I saw something about this fight broke the record for the most significant strikes landed in any middleweight fight in history. And before it was actually one of those Yoel versus Whitaker fights we just talked about. So, I mean, this fight was action packed from start to finish. I heard the commentary talking about it a little bit. And, and I think Hermanson probably could have used his reach a little bit better. He was throwing a lot of hooks versus like using his, his reach advantage. And Vittoria was out there just swinging for the fences and landed some really good stuff, dropped Hermanson in the first round. So, um, really, really, really impressive from Vittori. And Hermanson still looked great. Like, he's only going to drop down, like, a spot or two in the rankings, and that's just going to be to make way for Vittori, who's obviously going to be ranked higher now that he's beaten him. Yeah, no, and I, that was the big note in my head um, was, 
you know, Vittori last loss was that split decision loss to Adesanya back in uh, 2018. So um, I, I was surprised. I'm with you. I, I was surprised that he won, but at the same time, uh, I, I I wasn't shocked by it because of he's gotten better. That's not a bad loss for your last loss to be. Um, and uh, and yeah, the first thing I said when I saw, you know, I, I had the first round spoiled for me. I was. At- said man Vittori dropped her manson and i was like get the fuck out of here already um but i went back watched it on sunday and, and that was he, he looked he looked great man I, i'm really interested to see uh where we go for marvin Vittori next and you said it man a hell of a main event uh, especially one that this was a card that a lot of people may have thought oh this or that about and and look you know look at us we wound up having um only three decisions with one of those being this fight which was uh was just fight of the night yeah, and I also need to mention that, you know, Hermanson coming into this fight, I talked a lot on our last podcast about Hermanson's ground game. And, yes. you know, and I think he has a one of the best ground games in the middleweight division. And Vittori hit a switch on him on the ground during that fight uh, on Saturday. And I was, that was totally unexpected. So Vittori is actually really, really good on the ground too, uh, from what I've seen. So he's going to be, He's going to be a uh, a problem for the middleweight division because he has a lot of power in his strikes, and he's proven he can go five rounds now with a top five ranked guy. And we've seen him on the ground with that guy too, and and hold not only hold his own but take most of the dominant positions and reverse Hermanson, like I mentioned. So like that's uh, I mean that you got a new contender there for sure. Shout out Marvin Vittori, hell of a main event. Um... Uh, we may be seeing again. There, it's so hard to talk about like all three of these the top weights right now: middleweight, light, heavy, heavy. Because it seems like there's so many moving parts. Everyone wants you know the dream fights here, blah blah blah. But um, if I'm Marvin Vittori, I'm feeling really good moving forward about my standing in the middleweight division. Um, on the co-main event, uh, Ovin St. Peru, Jamal Hill, who we've seen, I believe, right? We've seen him a couple times through. COVID. Am I thinking of the right guy here? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. saw him back in that no that no contest back in May um, overturned because of a marijuana pop, which that's a whole other conversation. Anyway, comes back here and beats OSP. TKO's him in the second round, and uh, and Ovince came in a little overweight, so uh, Hill gets the win, uh, gets 20% of OSP's purse and his own purse, and Adds another dub during um, during COVID time, man, to to get out of twenty twenty with. So uh, outside of Vittori, maybe the biggest winner of the night. Yeah, he looked great. I mean, the combinations he was landing on OSP in the second round when he finished him were really impressive. Even John Jones was live tweeting, uh, giving this guy praise, which you know, you rarely. I mean, I shouldn't say rarely ever. Jones has been doing it a lot more lately, like just kind of popping up on Twitter during big fights and. And showing respect to to the winners and, and losers and stuff like, so that that has been cool to see. And he did that with uh, Jamal Hill. I mean, he uh, he looked damn good. The only knock I think that you could have on Hill at all, um, and this is like a it's a critique that if it's like one of these things. If I could, if I could, kind of nitpick anything, I don't know if his full knockout power against top level guys is like, is there, I don't know. I need to, cause mm. he has, he has a lot of TKOs, but he hasn't like, 
knock someone out cold, um, which not, you don't necessarily need because if you land the kind of volume yeah. he, he does, like he gets the TKO. But if let's say it's Jan Blahovich, for instance, and he's landing those same shots against OSP, Blahovich is turning St. Prue's lights out. Um, and the reason that I think that's important to bring up is because if you're fighting someone like that, like if you're Hill and you're landing those kind of combinations on a guy like OSP, which like exactly what he did this Saturday, once again, incredibly impressive. But if your opponent is Jan Blahovich, for instance, who has that kind of knockout power, you know, like OSP is a powerful guy, but he's a very hit or miss. Right. I, I, I think like, I guess the point being, if Jamal Hill had more of like that, that, if I can see, maybe he has it. You know, that's another thing I don't know. You know, guys like Nick Diaz and Nate Diaz, they yep. throw 50 and 60 and 70% power punches for that exact reason. They're really not trying to knock you out cold. They're just landing volume, 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 and then they kind of do what they want from there. So, so I don't really know for sure. You know, maybe Hill has like some serious KO power and we just haven't really seen it. But the reason that I think it's so important to bring that up is because that's that's like the real fight ender. Like if you can get someone in that kind of position that he got St. Pru in, and you can just land a couple of those that just that are have the capability of just ending the night, that's so huge because there are guys in the in this division, especially towards the top, um, like Blahovich and Blahovich being like the prime example, but then I mean guys coming up right now like Rakic and you got Glover Teixeira who's on a tear. We always talk about him yep. and uh, you know, a lot of just even like Volkan Ozdemir, like he has like really serious KO power, stuff like that. Like, it, and then obviously, you know, Thiago Santos, Dominic Grace are, are capable of those things too. And those are the kind of guys you have to, I think you have to put them out. Like, yeah, I don't know if you, like you, you might be able to land like that on, on a Glover Teixeira, but as we've seen, even in Glover Teixeira versus Thiago Santos just a few weeks ago, Glover Teixeira was getting pieced up, but he, he didn't get finished. And he had an opportunity to come back, and he did come back, and he won. Like, I think I think Hill needs, to, if he's going to start, because the reason this is becoming important and the reason I'm bringing it up and really highlighting this is because he's going to be in the top 15 now after that win over OSP. So... These are the kind of people like you're. I mean, if he goes in there and he fights like a Jimmy Crute or like a Misha Serkinov or Johnny Walker next, something like that. If he gets these guys in this kind of those kind of situations, I think he needs he needs to like it needs to be a finish. Like I think he needs to really prove a point. Um, The OSP win, humongous, looks super impressive. Not taking anything away from him, but I think we need to see like some real knockout power before we get to a point where he's because if he beats one of those kind of guys I'm talking about, he's already in that conversation with like the Anthony Smiths and the Dominic Reyes level guys. So, you know what I mean? Like I, I just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I'd like to see him get some, some clean knockouts before he's in there with the kind of guys that can, can they have the capability of really turning the tables on him mid fight and coming back from those situations? No. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the, it's a, it's something to keep an eye on. Um, he's he's shown 
so far at least that he can be the guy to, to, to finish you. But yeah, when you're getting there with someone that really only needs one, um, you kind of have to fight a perfect fight almost every time. Right? I, I, I'm picking up what you're laying down. Um, still, though, uh, a solid win for Jamal Hill over at OSP. Again, second round finish. Um, uh, are, anything you wanted to uh, add on, on this for OSP before we move on to the next fight? Um, last thing I'll say about Jamal Hill, he seems like a really good dude. Um, his post fight interview I thought was really good. He did this whole, like, don't drink and drive PSA basically. Cause he, he lost, um, a close friend uh, to drinking and driving lately. So he took a lot of his time to on, on his post fight interview to talk about that. And he seems like a genuinely really good dude. He's a guy I'm really pulling for. I, I'm, I have a lot of high hopes for Jamal Hill. Um, so even though I was saying kind of the stuff about his KO power, that doesn't take anything away at all from how impressed I am by him where he's at right now, only being like eight or nine fights into his career. So, yeah, 8-0 eight, eight, oh and 1. Um, again, that one no contest is a fight. He won by TKO, but it was overturned because uh, he tested positive for, for marijuana. Yeah, big fan of Jamal Hill. Sweet dreams, Jamal Hill out of Chicago, Illinois. Only 29, man. So definitely someone to keep an eye on um, because I, I'm going to say it again. Outside of Marvin Vittori, uh, I don't know if anyone uh, did themselves any more favors than what Hill did. And again, he got got the winning, uh, got got his money, got his win bonus, and uh, 20% of OSP's cut. So uh, nice little payday for Jamal Hill um, this past weekend. At the lightweight division, um, Third fight uh, on the on the main card, right there in the middle. Gabriel Benitez beat Justin James. TKO, another finish, man. First round, knees to the body, then elbows. This was uh, a performance of the night bonus also for Gabriel. So, uh, you know, uh, this main card, man, so much, uh, so much to like with these finishes. Yeah, I mean, just really nice, really nice combination. Um, knee and then, you know, with the elbows. Um, he needed that too. I mean, he had lost his last two fights, so he really needed that win. And Justin James now has lost two in a row. This like with the cuts and stuff we were talking about before that that's going to get really interesting is paying attention to people who have kind of lost back to back or three in a row and stuff like OSP being a good example. Like I'm, I don't want to see yeah. him get cut, but I, I mean, if Yoel just got cut, I mean, same Prue, I don't think it's safe. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's what three and five or six in his. You know what I mean? Like those losses are stacking up for OSP. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, big loss for Justin Janes, uh, yeah. uh, but big win for Gabriel Benitez. So and, and very impressive, and he took home uh, one of those performance of the night bonuses. So you know, good for him. Good performance. Yeah, thirty-two-year-old. I I love his. Uh, I think one of his nickname was Mogley, and I thought that was just fucking dope because I'm like. That's something I've never heard before. So, uh, yeah. And, and again, it needs to be said, anytime you're coming off two losses, um, you want, you know, as a fan, you want to see a, a fighter have a performance like this. It shows, okay, we're locked in. And, uh, and yeah, I, again, if you missed this finish for some reason, go back and check this out because uh, this was this was smooth stuff, man. Um, I want to touch on the light heavyweight, the split decision, because uh, because of some, some thoughts Dana White had. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but, um, talking about the Roman Dolins John Allen fight, split decision win for Roman, but um, weird card here again. Um, 
the I believe the Chris Lee was the judge here that gave it 29-28 scorecard for Allen over Roman Dolenz. And this is the same judge that had um, the, the fight for Paul Felder uh, recently over RDA. He actually gave Felder a 48-47 score. So um, some odd cards here from Chris Lee. And then uh, the quote I had from Dana was, he said, it's not good. It's something commissions need to stay on top of. They need to single out and call people out. They're going to fuck somebody's life up. Um, so any thoughts you had on on a, just a weird a weird card again in the world of the UFC and MMA as a whole? Yeah, I mean, Dana White's right on the money. I, I think that the, that guy shouldn't be allowed to be scoring these fights. You know, I think that... You know, and that's not to say once again, like I want to see someone lose their job or get fired. It's not that. Like I think that people in his kind of position should be kind of relegated to, you know, maybe doing this for you know amateur fights and exhibition fights and 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 regional stuff, uh, and then proving uh, proving a track record of getting back to a point where they feel comfortable with him doing this in something that's so high stakes as a professional. MMA fight for the leading organization, the UFC, like you, you can't be, and I know it's not the UFC's decision. If it was up to the UFC, this guy would not be involved. Um, it has to do with the commissions, like you mentioned, but, uh, yeah, I just, I don't think it's right to keep having things like this happen. And, uh, I don't really know how else you could possibly fix it other than holding people accountable for it. You know, like I, uh, in any other job in the world, like if you keep messing up over and over and over again, there's there's some sort of consequence. Like not everybody just gets fired over it, but it's like, you know, you might have to go and do like a special training course or you might have to do this. They got to do something about it because it's multiple times now that the guy is just seeing something completely differently than everyone else is. And, and his vote really has a, the potential to impact. Like you said, you can fuck someone's life up. That's that's. A legitimate uh, concern. No, yeah, the power on these judges. We know we is the thing you and I talk about along with with fighter base pay, but the just how um, how wild west these judges are sometimes. I know we all see things differently, but man, you got something that even like the I brought up the Felder point because even Paul Felder was like, "How the fuck did he score at that?" You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you've got the fighter himself going. There's no way. Um, it, it's not a good look, man. It's not good. Uh, this, and he's a guy I look, looked into him a little bit. He's, he's been around the MMA judging world for a long time. So it, it's that thing of like, just because he's been there a while, doesn't mean he should still be there. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's also something where people's, um, skills can diminish. I mean, yeah. he, he might've been a great judge for years, but his recent track record is really bad. So, you know, something just has to be done about it. I, once again, I'm not saying it necessarily means his job, but, you know, hopefully behind the scenes, they're making him take some sort of extra courses or making him, I mean, at the very least, he should have to explain the, to the commission his reasoning for thinking. Like, he should have to sit there and watch the fight with with other people that are in charge of all these things and explain like okay so when was when i see this happen this is why i'm thinking this and that's why i judge it this way and at the like at the very least even if his reasoning is no good at least find out why it is the way that it is because to be honest 
We, I mean, I, I doubt this is the case, but it's totally possible because of where they find a lot of these judges. A lot of them are just boxing judges that don't really know what they're looking at with MMA. They've been commissioned forever by the Boxing Association. So they go in there and, you know, they could watch an entire round of fighting and then just be like, oh, well, yeah, that guy, that guy looks stronger than that guy. And, you know, but they're not really looking at like the submission attempt or the, or, or how a certain strike landed or, or the creativity of something or, or the octagon control or, or the, you know, like, there's all these factors and then might, they might be looking at, you know, like this guy looks bigger and stronger than this guy. Some punch, but they're totally negating all the groundwork the other guy might've done. And they, they might really just not really know what they're looking at. Some of these people and, you know, and the only way to fix that is like figuring out a, just a way better way of getting the right judges just in general. Uh, but it's, it's a, it's really, it's really, really strange that we're at this point in MMA where the UFC is on ESPN. It's looked at basically like any other major sport. They bring in a ton of money. I mean, they got some major stars and for some reason, the whole scoring system and the judging and all that stuff is still a complete mess somehow. It's unreal. No, it is. It's, it's not as bad as boxing, thankfully, but, um, it is it's too many head scratchers. I mean, that's the nicest way I can say it too many times. We watched a fight and you're just going, how, how, how is possible? Uh, hopefully, hopefully that changes, man. I mean, that's the truth. Like, you, you know, you catch someone, we've talked about it a lot today. You catch someone maybe having a couple, two or three losses in a row, um, you know, in the past, maybe getting screwed over by a bad judge doesn't cost you your job. But, you know, these days, yeah, I mean, if 2021 doesn't pick up and COVID kind of keeps even say we get into kind of summer of next year and things haven't picked up, like we're just going to see more um, more people being let go in a night like this where, you know, you really could cost someone their job and that's where it gets worse if for no other reason than that should step in though there's a million other reasons so um i'm happy dana came out and said it but again you pointed out a couple times it, you know it's the commission the commission's going to do something so um I, don't, I can't say much more without cussing a whole bunch uh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah let's get into our we're almost done with this this fight night and then we're going to dive into 256 uh First fight of the main card, it was hinted at earlier by Jensen. Matt Wyman getting KO fucking slammed by Jordan Levitt in the first fight. First round, 22 seconds in. Uh, big time gif, big time uh, social media win uh, for Jordan Levitt. And our, our second performance of the night bonus. Um, all around a, a big night for for the man with, the, with no Wikipedia page uh, getting the win over Matt Wyman. Yes, and... You know, as much as I talk about not advocating for people to lose their jobs and stuff, Matt Weidman just has no business right now being in the UFC. I, and I, I'm comfortable saying that because I know that I am not alone in that thought. I have seen literally hundreds of tweets from very respectable people in the MMA community. And none of us are like, fuck this guy. It's not like that at all. It's like, this just isn't. This just doesn't make sense. And he, like the guy's 37 years old. He started fighting in 2004. Like I remember back in 
like right around 2010 ish when it looked like he was going to be like one of these top contenders at lightweight. And that was 10 years ago. Like he took a lot of time off and since coming back looked really bad against Valent Bob Ross got beat very clearly by Joe Selecki. And then this, I mean, once again, if Yo Romero is getting cut, I I do not think Matt Wyman is going to be around much longer, and especially because of the way he lost. I mean, this was this was I mean, Jordan Levitt basically picked up Matt Wyman like the fight just had started. He picks him up and then like walks him across the cage. And what was the most impressive thing about all of it is he puts his forearm against Matt Wyman's like like kind of across his jawline and put in balls up his fist right behind Matt Weidman's ear. So, and I, and I didn't pick up on this initially, but the commentators did an amazing job explaining all this as it was happening. That's really where the knockout came from. And if you're standing, everyone knows, you know, you're not allowed to hit people in the back of the head. You can't punch behind the ear and stuff like that. It's considered an illegal blow. But if it's during a slam or a fall or something like that, it's 100% legal. And Lortland Levitt knows this and worked 100% within the rules. And in a very smart move, the slam, I mean, the slam was was pretty devastating. Like the slam itself might have done the job. But what really got that knockout was Levitt basically punching and forearming Weidman in the face, in the back of the head, against the ground as he was slamming him. It was a it was a genius and beautiful move that he that he pulled off. Like uh, we're gonna see more of that. I think we're gonna see more people if they're put in a position where they have someone in the air. I think we're gonna see more people reaching up towards the head like that because that's such a smart and underutilized um, like weapon in the game. Of when you slam someone, you're usually thinking. Hit, bring them to the ground, throw them on their back, put them on their ass, whatever, you know, just get them to the ground. Now I think people are going to be a little more calculated and be like, yo, if I got a chance of getting my, my, my fist up by their head and I can slam them kind of into my arm like that, like that's, that's where the, the KO slams are at. Um, so I, I mean, this was as much as sad as it was to see who Matt Wyman, once again, is a very nice guy. I love watching him in interviews. He seems like a great person. But all that aside, like Jordan Levitt, that was a hell of a, I mean, that slam was just, that was amazing. Amazing. And it sounded like a fucking gunshot when he hit the ground. No, it did. Again, that was one that you heard it, you saw it. It was, um, I mean, he, he he earned that 50 G's, man. That's going to be one that, uh. You know, we get closer to the end of the year. It's going to be up there for a knockout of the year just because of how how it's all those check marks of vicious. It's growth, uh, but you can't look away. Um, yeah, great stuff about Jordan Levitt. I would not be shocked to see Matt Wyman, one of these names we see cut uh, sooner rather than later either. So uh, if that's, you know, if that's how it has to end for Wyman, at least it happens on a moment that um, – that Jordan Levitt's going to be able to play a lot uh, the next few months, man. Um, great, great, great fucking card, that main card, man. We had three finishes, two decisions, um, a weird judge, and a, a damn good main event on that prelim card. 
uh, start things off. Heavyweight division, Jake Collier over Gian Valenti. Unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Second fight in the featherweight division, Alia Toporia defeated Damon Jackson. Knockout in the first round. And a fight we both were really excited about in bantamweight. Luis Smoka put down uh, Quinones with a TKO in the second round by punches. So, uh, two again, two finishes, one decision on this prelim card, man. Um, what really stuck out to you? I'd say the Smolka win. He he could really use that there. He's, he's two and two in his last four, but he was on a little bit of a run before that. Um, he's had multiple stints in the UFC. Sometimes he's looked, he's looked great. Sometimes he looks... Uh, not so great. I'll just say, I mean, he, he, he's very, he has had a very hot and cold career, but when he gets hot, he gets hot and he's always fighting good guys. So it was good to see him get this win. And Quinones, you know, got a lot of hype because he had fought Sean O'Malley and people thought that he didn't really get to show his full game against O'Malley and Smolka went in there. And this was a fight that I think it was very evenly matched on paper and Smolka, uh, got the win, and I think that was really big for him. And I think that's uh, not not to say that I think he was necessarily like in danger of getting cut or anything like that, but that's just kind of what I'm thinking now more and more when we're talking about some of these people because we know cuts are coming. Uh, I think this was uh, potentially a a job saver for Smolka. I, I think he's safe, and I think he gets another uh, entertaining bantamweight fight in his next outing. No, yeah, again, this is a big smoke, a guy. Um, we're both very much excited about this one. We got a great finish. Um, yeah, man, happy all around uh, for, for this card. It was, uh, it was a damn good Saturday night. We're going to pivot to, uh, to a little bit of preview action now, UFC 256. This Saturday, it felt like we were just talking about, you know, Figgy versus Brandon Moreno being weeks away. Well, here we are. Days away, flyweight title on the line. Um, Figueredo putting that putting that gold on the line again, man. Quickly, uh, he and Moreno both, of course, won just a couple of weeks ago on the same card. Co-main event: Tony Ferguson, Charles Oliveira, which is a main event just about any other night. We've got Kevin Holland and Jacques Ray on this card. JDS, Cub Swanson, Mackenzie Dern, Tisha Torres, though she does not have an opponent at this exact moment, it seems so. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about, man. Um, how do you see that again? This was the fight we both agreed should have probably already happened. Uh, we're getting it. How do you see this flight weight title, uh, title fight coming, coming down? I mean, I got to go with Fig again, but this is a great matchup. Like you said, this is the one that we were both advocating for before the Alex Perez fight. Um, nothing against Alex Perez. Just thought that Marino had done a bit more to earn that shot and he was ranked higher but all is right with the world everything uh as uh, one of my favorite quotes of all time from harold and kumar go to white castle the universe tends to unfold as it should so yeah. <laughs> so um <clears throat> yeah i think that uh i think that fig still gets to win here but i think it's a really good matchup it's interesting uh and i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for marina to, to win but i and this is this is great for the flyweights because when Demetrius Johnson got traded to one FC, I keep calling him one FC. That, that's what they used to be called. One championship over for, uh, you know, basically the trade for Ben Askren. It looked like that division was just going to go away. 
And then Henry Cejudo basically saved it with all of his, people can call it as cringe as they want, but obviously I think y'all should know by now, like he is trolling. Like that's exactly what he wants. He calls himself the cringe king and stuff. Like that's, that's the gimmick. Uh, but, you know, he basically saves the division and then he goes on to retire and it's kind of in limbo again. Like what's going to happen. And then fig comes around has two great performances back to back against Benavidez. And he had looked great heading into it too. I'd say around, I'm going to pull his record up. I'd say around the, I started probably really, really paying attention to what fig was doing around the John Moraga fight because he took on who's your Formiga and he lost a close one there. And then he just went on a tear after that. When he submitted Tim Elliott, I was like, okay, this is going to be, this guy's a real problem for a lot of people. And then since then, the two Benavides fights and, and then the Perez fight has just, he just looked incredible. A TKO, a submit, and then two submissions back to back. Just, um, this is exactly who the flyweights needed. They needed a guy like this and a guy who's willing to stay active. He just fought like three weeks ago or, or whatever it was. Like, I mean, he, he initially we were supposed to get Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling as the main event of this show. So Fig basically saved this show, too, from the perspective of having a title fight on the pay-per-view. So uh, this is exactly what the division needs. And even if Brandon Marino wins, like, that's how you make new stars and stuff. Like, Fig, even if Fig loses, within the little bit of time he's had the belt, he's re-elevated the division to where people care again. And he's still good enough to where he's definitely going to get another shot at the belt in sometime in the near future. And if Marino wins, <clears throat> you have a new star that now it's his turn to try to carry on with the flyweights. And and he's a young guy with a lot of uh, upside still, too, who hasn't even hit his prime still. So <clears throat> it's a win-win. And uh, I got to go with Fig. Who do you have? No, I just... And right now, as much as I, I do, I, I love Brandon Moreno. He's one of my favorite fighters these last couple of years to watch. Uh, this will be his third fight of 2020, which I respect the hell out of all since March. Um, and he also fought in December 2019. So, you know, nothing but respect for this guy. He stayed active. He, this is a great time. It feels like he, he's peaking right at the right moment. Uh, I expect a great fight, um, but I do. I think... Um, Figueredo just does more. He just he as confident as he is, as great as he's looked here recently. Um, he just I feel like he's going to be able to get the job done. Um, and, and again, you know, this is a guy th- four four straight finishes. His last time he went to the judges was last July, uh, which was a fight of the night. So uh, you know, nothing to shake your head out there. Um, I, I don't know, man. I just, it's hard to pick against Figgy right now, even with someone as talented as Brandon Moreno. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I think that Fig, uh, I think he gets the job done, but I mean, so much respect to both guys. And it's so great how even this is like, they're both coming off of quick wins on the same card, same amount of time to train and cut weight and get ready for this. And it's the number one contender versus the champion. This all just makes perfect sense. Absolutely. We, we wanted it a few weeks ago. We get it. Um, everyone's healthy. Everyone's feeling good. Uh, big time main event, the Saturday UFC 256 and the co-main event, a fight. Both, uh, both of us were just doing the, like the baby, like hand rubbed together gif when we saw it announced Tony Ferguson, Charles Oliveira. I can't fucking wait for this one, man. I really can't wait. El Kaku is one of my favorite fighters. 
We both agree Charles Oliveira is one of the most underrated guys in name that should be talked about more. And you know what? If he goes out and gets the job done Saturday, he will be talked about more. Yeah, this is an amazing fight stylistically. And it makes sense for the rankings. I mean, it's all like the winner of this fight should. Let me just double check with the, where the rankings are at. Because like, assuming Habib is retired, you have Connor and Dustin, which still is not officially for a title belt, but I it very well could become for one. Um, and if not there, I mean, I'd say. Because you you also like Gaethje and Hooker is an amazing fight that I think should happen. It hasn't been signed, nothing like that. But like I would really like to see it. Um, but both of them are coming off of losses. Whereas I think that the winner of Oliveira and Ferguson kind of I, I see them I, like if Oliveira look at this way, especially if Oliveira wins, especially like because of what he's done lately. If Oliveira wins, I think he should fight whoever has the belt or for the, for the vacant belt. I think at that point he's done enough. Uh, if he can get the job done against Tony Ferguson, if Ferguson wins, he's still kind of in the same position. Like people are going to hold his loss to Justin Gaethje against him a little bit, but um, we got, we got to see how a lot of this plays out with Connor and Dustin, but uh, I, this, this very well could be basically a number one contender fight between Oliveira and Ferguson. And uh as far as the prediction goes, oh man, like this is a really, really, really difficult one. And I don't know if I'm going to publicly say anything on Twitter about it because I know Tony Ferguson follows me and every now and then he actually like interacts with some of my stuff and like, I don't want to pick against him, but uh, I'm going to take Charles Oliveira. I think he submits him. I think, I think it's going to oh, be. Yeah. Okay. No, I yeah. mean, any other any other fight I may be uh any other I may kind of want to argue with you there, but this is a scary fucking fight for El Kukui, right? I mean, the last time Oliveira lost, we're talking back in twenty seventeen to Felder, uh nothing but dubs since then, man. And we're talking about wins over tough, tough motherfuckers. His most recent, of course, that Kevin Lee guillotine win back in March. Um, for Tony, it's been you know, he's still a bad, bad dude, but he's coming off um, just Gagey, you know, him showing off that toughness. He's Gagey whooping that ass back in May. Before that, though, nothing but dubs since 2012. So two guys that are not used to losing. Um, I I want to pick Oliveira with you, as fucked up and crazy as it sounds to me. Um, I, I totally think Charles Oliveira may shock whoever – because I, I just know people – the casual fans are going to see Tony Ferguson's name and think, oh, okay, cool. It's going to be Tony, and it may be, you know, Tony. It may very be, but for but sure, I I expect I expect two guys who are going to be the best, who are going to you know really want this win because it's like you said, a win here, and um, there's so many question marks with that lightweight division anyway. Who knows? So a win here, man, may put you in an interim fight, may put you in a title fight. I mean, nobody knows. So um, I think I'm leaning towards Tony because of my own bias, but. I think you're onto something. I really do. I think Charles Oliveira may may come out of this with uh, the biggest win of his career. Well, I mean, I think Tony Ferguson has more ways to win. Like, I think Ferguson has better striking. Striking, yeah. Um, I think Ferguson's ground game is is very very good. I mean, tenth planet jujitsu, Eddie Bravo, 
the rubber guard, all that, all that stuff. Like uh, Ferguson's elbows off the bottom are vicious. He probably has better uh, ground strikes off of his back than like anybody in the company. For sure. Uh, you know, so like, but kind of the way that I see this potentially playing out is obviously the fight's going to start standing as, as all fights do. And I think Ferguson has better striking and more dynamic striking, but I think Oliveira has better striking than what people realize. And maybe even what Tony realizes. I think Tony's going to be really, really comfortable striking with Oliveira. Um, or at least think he's going to be. And I think Oliveira is going to surprise some people with how good his hands are. Um, I don't think that he's going to knock him out, but I think that it'll make it kind of interesting to the point where it does wind up on the ground. And I don't know if that'll be uh, by, because Ferguson goes for a takedown or Oliveira does, or one of them pulls guard on the other. But I also think that Ferguson is really, really, really comfortable on the ground. And I could see a scenario where he gets maybe a little too comfortable and Oliveira. Now nobody can take Oliveira lightly on the ground. Everyone knows that that's his bread and butter. But I think Ferguson, I'm not saying like overconfident. Tony Ferguson has every reason in the world to believe he is the man. I mean, outside of that Justin Gaethje loss, no one can take away that that run he was on. I mean, incredible, incredible. He should have been the champion. Like he got screwed over when he was the interim champion and Connor was off with the title and stuff. Like Tony was the rightful champion, the uncrowned champion. Yep. Um, you know, so I have nothing but respect. For, like I said, the guy, I mean... I not not like sit here and brag about Twitter and shit, but like the guy follows me on Twitter. Like I'm I'm really I, he doesn't follow that many people. Like I'm a big fan of his. I have been and, and the reason that's important is because he started following me probably like around the time I started using Twitter because I was basically a big Stan account. I fucking was always piping up Tony Ferguson before before he went on this long run. You know I was a I was a fan way back. You know like really hoping to see him become the champion. Um, so I've been a fan from really early on and I really, really, really like him. And I like what he does. I like his personality. I like that. He's kind of crazy. I like that. He compares himself to a Ninja turtle and shit. He's fucking out there. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I like that he's with Eddie Bravo and, and 10th planet and all that stuff. Like I'm a humongous fan of, of Tony Ferguson, but <clears throat> I just think that what Charles Oliveira has been doing lately is going to be very hard for a lot of people to stop. If he gets people in certain positions if this winds up on the ground, I think, well, I think and this goes for everybody, including maybe even Habib, as crazy as it is. I don't think Habib wants to be on top of Charles Oliveira on the ground. Mm. I, I, you know, I don't think anybody does because this guy is so slick and so confident in his abilities right now that he grabs any limb and it, it's game over for you. Um, and I just, you know, I just see him at the stars are all just kind of aligning and and I think part of this too, as much as of a huge Tony Ferguson fan as I am, the what Charles Oliveira presents to the division is completely different than what everyone else presents right now. That's in that's in the upper echelon of of the lightweights, because no one else has this kind of submission skill. A lot of these guys are, you know, all of them are well rounded. Uh, I think Dustin Poirier is probably like the most well rounded fighter um, in the division. But and Tony's like right there too. I mean, Tony and Dustin are probably the two most well-rounded guys in the division. But 
you know, at the end of the day, they're both pretty much primarily strikers. Conor McGregor is definitely a striker. Dan Hooker is definitely a striker. Paul Felder is definitely a striker. RDA is a bit more well-rounded, but he's getting up there in age and stuff. Oliver yep. is the only one who's like a true just jujitsu ace that, you know, you know, he can he can strike, but like I don't you know what I mean? I don't think that like I couldn't see any scenario where like Dan Hooker would want to be on top of, of Charles Oliveira or or Justin Gaethje would want to be on top of Charles Oliveira. And granted, the fight's gonna start standing, but Oliveira's got really good takedowns too. Like he can get people to the ground. And if he can't get you to the ground, he's so creative. He might fucking throw in a, a flying arm bar at you or get or get behind you and jump on your back. I mean, there's like there's so much, there's so many intangibles with his jujitsu and grappling game that I think are just huge, huge problems potentially for guys that are primarily strikers. No, yeah, it's it's an interesting matchup, man. It's something new for Tony, and it's a guy that's, you know, a lot of El Kakui. It feels it's that energy about him. I don't think Charles Oliveira is going to give a shit about that energy. I think he's coming in there to prove a point. Um, I'm going to say it again because I believe that wholeheartedly one of the most underrated names, one of the most underrated guys uh, who isn't talked about enough. I mean, he just, he is not talked about enough. So uh, th- again, this is a main event. I mean, this is a, du- the title is the main event, but this feels like a double main event to me. Um, I, it's, it's one of those fights again, we, two guys that I know, they always have entertaining fights. So you put them in there together. Um, and I think we're just going to get big time fireworks. Also on this main card, we've got lightweight action. Um, we've got middleweight action with Kevin Holland and Jacare Souza. We've got JDS back in there. Uh, any of those matchups that really stick out to you um, that really kind of are worth pointing out? I know that the Holland Jacare fight's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, a lot of good stuff on this show. Um, JDS and Gain. I, I think I've always called him Gagne because he's French, but I've heard someone call him French, Gain yeah. the other day, so I'm going to go with that, I guess. But he's looked really <laughs> good. He's looked really good, 6-0. and oh, I mean, and he's throwing in, like, heel hooks and arm triangles and shit. So, I mean, that's interesting against a guy like JDS who's going to want to strike. Um, but I do think JDS gets the win there. I think his experience and his striking is going to be enough to, to do the job. It's interesting to see that he's still at heavyweight too, because it looked for a while like he was cutting to light heavyweight. Yeah. But um, he's JDS. He looked really good in his last one, didn't he? Who did he just? Uh, oh no, he lost to Rosen Strike. That's right. Lost to Blades and Ngannou before that. All the all really damn good fighters though. Um, tough spot for JDS. This is a. Uh, speaking of the cuts, man, you don't want to be on a four fight losing streak. JDS is back is up against the wall. Uh, but I think he gets the job done in this one, but that's, that's a good, that's a damn good match stylistically. Uh, Kevin Holland and Jacare. I got to go with Jacare. Kevin Holland's look damn good though. Like he's got a lot of hype right now. Uh, his last fight was just in October at the end of October, fought in August and September and May of this year too. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, dude. That's, that's awesome. But Jacare. Looking to go, what is that? He'd be five and oh in, in 2020. Yeah, which I mean, Gosh. that's that's incredible. I mean, kudos to him even for getting to this spot, like with what he's done. I mean, amazing. Uh, but to Jock Ray's credit, 
he was supposed to fight a few times throughout the pandemic, True. but he got COVID or his team got COVID. And so like, there's nothing he can do about that, you know? So it's not like Jacare wasn't trying to fight this whole time. It's just now he's able to. So, but I'm going to take Jacare, but that'd be a huge win for Kevin Holland. And uh, the middleweight division is, depending on what happens with Israel, it's opening up even more. If Israel winds up going to light heavyweight and fights Blahovich and then sticks around to fight Jones, uh, you're going to have Whitaker in a no man's land. You're going to have Vittoria in a no man's land. You're going to have spots for guys like Kevin Holland to slide in there. So um, really big fight at middleweight there. Uh, Hanada Moicano, I think, is a really talented fighter. He's lost two of his uh, two of his last three, but before that was looking really, really good. And his losses are to Jose Aldo and the Korean Zombie. So it's like... I mean, if you're going to have two losses back-to-back, yeah. back, and his only other loss is to Brian Ortega, by the way. I mean, it's like, I mean, you can't. Chance, bro. Those are fucking yeah. chance. Yeah, you you can't. I mean, you can hold it against him because he, he lost. Um, if he wins any of those fights, he's in another kind of echelon in the division. But clearly, uh, clearly his only loss to the best of the best, and... Uh, everyone else is getting the job done. So I think he, he gets the job done again on this show. Speaking of Cub Swanson, he's on the main card. You brought that yeah. up earlier. Him and Daniel Pineda, that's a really good fight. I'm going to take Cub because I'm just, you know, kind of kind of like you with Ferguson. Yeah. Probably, a little, <laughs> probably a little bit on the bias side, but I did love his fight with Cron Gracie um, last year. That was a really good fight. Uh, yeah, man, Tisha Torres was supposed to fight Angela Hill, but... Uh, don't know who it's going to be now, but I like Tisha a lot. Uh, she has some mutual friends uh, that kind of small world with my brother and his boxing gym and stuff. Uh, he has some close friends that are really close with Tisha. And I hear a lot of really, really nice things about her and Raquel Pennington and stuff. And they're apparently really just really, really nice people. And everyone seems to really get along with them. So I always kind of subliminally pull for Tisha because of those reasons. And I, I hope she gets a good fight. Uh, Mackenzie Dern, she's had a lot of hype in her short career so far, so hopefully she wins there. But man, good stuff. You got Lee Jingliang on the main on the uh, uh, early on the prelim. early prelims. Yeah, he's a guy to keep your eyes on too. I don't know what he's looked like lately, but he definitely. Oh, he lost to Neil Magny. That's right. But Neil Magny's like, I mean, he's he's. I'm not going to sit here and say Neil Magny's a UFC Hall of Famer, but he's like. I'm way closer to that than people realize. <laughs> I could not agree more. Anytime I look at, at Neil's kind of fight record, I catch myself going like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it really is impressive. I mean, if he if he fought for if, – if he even fought for the title, he'd be kind of in consideration. If he won the title, I'd definitely say Hall of Fame career. Um, but Jing Liang, uh, up until that point, he had won – uh, his last three fights before that and his loss prior to that was Jake Matthews, who is a, a problem for many, many people. Jake Matthews is a very good fighter. So, um, so yeah, man, we got a lot of really good stuff. Uh, who do you have for your predictions for for the main card outside of uh, the main and co-main that, that we already talked about? Yeah, I'm going to go uh, Moicano. Um, I'm actually going to go Holland because I think – I know this is a I, – I should probably take Jockery, but I think just how he's looked in 2020, uh, maybe it's the 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 storyteller in me that I just – I want him to go out. I think he can. I think he can win this fight and go 5-0 and oh in a COVID year, man. Like that 
even four and one, even if he loses, you know, let alone the fact that it's fucking Jacare, um, that in itself isn't isn't a big deal at all. But if you can if you can end this year out, man, Kevin Holland, like that's fighter of the year talk. And he, you know, we got champs. We got he's it's incredible story to me. So I'm actually gonna go Holland there though. Uh, that might be more heart than uh, than brain. And then um, that heavyweight fight with JDS is so interesting to me because of of what you said. Gain he's six and zero. Hasn't fought since December. Uh, this is his first fight in 2020. Um, he can do a lot, man. Uh, three losses in a row for JDS. I think I'm gonna go Gain. I think I think Gain gets gets the win. Um, and and maybe by finish, he's only been to the judges one time in his career. So yeah, give me give me Cyril Gain, the Frenchman. Yeah, and for those of you who haven't seen him, like he looks like a bear, like like a like a not like a how do you put this um he looks he's very uh very large like he's he looks like if if i was to wrestle because because this guy's background like i need to pull him up because he was uh he's got what is he kickboxer too is that right or or yeah muay thai excuse me he's muay thai background too yeah like because when he came into the ufc he had a lot of hype because he came in just last year and has been putting on these i mean the first two fights he had in the company were an arm triangle and a heel hook and i just remember like watching him and feeling like this is a better way of putting it it's like a man fighting a bear not that he looks like (laughs) a bear i was trying to think of the way of of the best way of trying to uh, trying to paint that picture it's like if the people who have fought him so far it's like watching a man trying to fight and wrestle a bear because he's just he grab you know you try to push him around and you can't and then he gets a hold of you and it's game over like it's it's like uh he's just he's been very impressive and in all honesty he's probably the better pick to win over jds like in all honesty right now in 2020 I'm I'm just I'm a bit more biased. I I take JDS almost all the time. He's he's really similar to like Arlovsky for me. Every time mm. Arlovsky fights, I'm like every time Arlovsky fights, he could be fighting Francis Ngannou, and I'm still like, yeah, man, I think Arlovsky pulls it off somehow. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I totally get that side, man. I'm a big Chicano fan. I'll never. We've talked about it before on shows like the the Kane Velasquez win on fucking Fox like that will stick with me the rest of my life um so yeah big time love for JDS I, I just again it's a it's scary too man because we I hate to bring be the uh, that guy again but you know he's lost to it's Ngannou Blades and Rosie Jer, uh, Jer, ah, I can never say his first name Rosenstrike um, those are not bad losses at all but three losses in a row for JDS now two of those in 2020 if you know, he does lose or get finished by gain. Like I, it feels like maybe he's one of those names, man. No lie. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Really, really good matchup. Big time fights again, early prelims, uh, are on ESPN plus and fight pass, I believe. And then ESPN two is that prelim card. Main card starts at 10 Eastern on paper. Or I keep saying pay-per-view on ESPN plus, uh, man, top to bottom, this is this is going to be a lot of fun. UFC 256, man. Um, we did it. We we got through another one. A lot of I know we went a little long again. A lot of boxing. A lot of MMA talk. Shout out Clarissa Shields one more time. Yeah, uh, ha- had a blast though, bro. Of course, I'm I'm John Mosley. I'm over on Twitter at Mos K O B K. If you want to throw me a follow, 
Um, want to talk about boxing, MMA, wrestling, holler at your boy. Uh, I appreciate being back with you, bro. Yeah, I appreciate it too. And shout out uh, Chase Hooper. Didn't even realize he's on the show. He's like, I think he's still the youngest uh, UFC fighter on the roster. So uh, the guy who uh, pretends to be Ben Askren's son, really, really funny. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, thanks for joining the show again. Uh, it was a blast as always. Good to be able to talk MMA and sprinkle in some of that boxing stuff. So a lot of fun. Uh, if y'all want to check out more of this stuff, make sure to subscribe to this Fight Talk podcast feed. Me and Moe's are here every Monday uh, talking this type of stuff. And, you know, my Fightful Select Weekender podcast, that's every weekend, usually drops on Sundays. I talk a lot this week about the AEW versus Impact Wrestling kind of story that looks to be brewing with Kenny Omega going to be showing up on Impact on Tuesday. So all that kind of stuff. Having more videos pop up on all things MMA. I have one that's already edited and submitted, so that'll be uploaded sometime soon. Uh, there was another one that I wrote that I should be editing some more uh, in the coming days. So check those out if you're, you know, obviously if you listen to this, if you're an MMA fan, all things MMA on YouTube. And then me and Jesse Davin do our live wrestling chats on her YouTube channel. That's J-E-S-S-I-D-A-V-I-N. And we talk pretty much everything. On our next show, we'll be talking AW Dynamite and uh, NXT TakeOver War Games, which happened over this weekend as well. Forgot to mention that. That was last night. That was a really good show. Um, <clears throat> but uh, that all being said, you can find my stuff on Twitter at FightTalk underscore F-I-G-H-T-T-A-L-K underscore. Until next weekend, uh, or not next weekend, until next Monday. Uh, y'all have a good week. We'll see you soon.